John chapter 13. Let me direct your attention to verse 1 again. And we started last week in this section here, verses 1 through 17. So let's read it again uh, to remind ourselves where we were and what the context of all of this is here. Okay, so beginning in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He was come from God and went to God, He riseth from supper, and laid aside His garments, and took a towel, and girded Himself. After that He poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith He was girded. Then cometh He to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto Him, Lord, dost Thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. The events that we have read here uh, in this text, they they take place, uh, place on the last evening that Jesus Christ is going to spend on this earth. It is just prior to His death. Later this same night, Jesus is going to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Early in the morning, He's going to be falsely accused and tried by the Sanhedrin in an illegal court. They're going to lead Him to stand before Pilate. He's going to be condemned to death. He's going to be scourged. He's eventually going, going to be crucified. And all of this is going to take place in less than 24 hours. From that moment of time, in 24 hours, less than 24 hours from that time, Jesus is going to give his life for the sin of the world. And these are interesting because these are the last hours of his life. And what we see here is that Jesus, instead of thinking about maybe himself or thinking about any kind of of earthly pleasure, what we find is Jesus actually caring for his own. We find him preparing them, not thinking of himself. And the valuable lesson that he is teaching to his disciples is the very same lesson that the Lord wants us to be learning in our life as well. 
Last week, we talked about the wisdom of Jesus in verses 1 through 3. And we talked about how this was a stressful time, no doubt, uh, and it was going to be more stressful for the disciples in just a little while. But Jesus was well aware of all of the circumstances that lay ahead, not only for him, but also for his disciples. And we said that Jesus knew the time. He knew the time. Verse 1 said that uh, he, he knew his hour was come. He knew that he would depart out of this world to the Father. And having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. On the eve of his death, Jesus is found trying to teach and give comfort to his disciples. He didn't forsake them in their hour. Uh, And knowing what Jesus knew, most people would have been just trying to enjoy the last of life's pleasures. But Jesus was concerned with his disciples. He knew what the need was. And we made the application that the Lord is also aware of your need and mine. We live in difficult days, certainly, but the Lord desires to provide comfort for our soul because He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And we talked about how many times those are principles that we know in life, but we don't actually live in them. We don't appreciate what the Lord has provided for us in order to navigate through life in this chaotic world. And sometimes what we look at is the mountains of life. And sometimes what we look at is the, the crossroad or the obstacles to avoid. And all we see is all of this in front of us, and it weighs us down with worry and fear. And on the outside, we might look okay, but on the inside, we're full of trouble. And we made the application from Philippians 4, 6, where the Bible says, be careful, or don't, uh, be careful for nothing. Don't be full of worry about anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We also said in verse 2 that he knew the traitor. Verse 2 said, And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Among the twelve was one who looked like the others. He walked with them. He ate with them. He witnessed the miracles of Jesus. He heard the word of Jesus preached. He endured the storms. He even carried the purse, the Bible says. Judas lived among the followers of Christ, but Judas did not have a relationship with Christ. And we made the application that the Lord sees a whole lot more than the outward appearance. He sees the heart. And Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known of mine. And we made the application that Jesus is well aware of your heart condition today. He's well aware of mine. And we may deceive others. We may be able to put on a show. We might be able to even make a reputation for ourselves among others. But we can't do that with God. We can't deceive God. He knew the traitor. So we're talking about the wisdom of Jesus. He knew the time. He knew the traitor. We also said he knew the truth in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. And we talked about how the greatest injustice ever committed in this world was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But it wasn't in vain. 
It was God's plan. It was why Jesus came to this world. He came to die. He was born to die for our transgression, and He knew that what He was doing was fulfilling the Father's will for the redemption of mankind. Praise the Lord. And then we looked at verses 4 and 5, and we talked about the work of Jesus. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus rose from supper, He laid aside His garment, He took a towel, He girded Himself, He poured water in a basin, and then He begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe those same feet with the towel wherewith He was girded. And we find that there was a beautiful expression of the Lord's love for the people that followed Him. He washes their feet. And we said that this was an act of humility. Verse 4, as he rose from supper and laid aside his garment, he took the towel and girded himself. And what is described here would be the work of a servant. He laid aside his outer robe. He took a towel. He girded himself. That word towel, it's, it's not how we would imagine in our you know, English language a, a dish towel that's hanging you know, over the, the railing or the handle on your stove in your kitchen. That's not what that is. That towel refers to basically an apron that a servant would put on before he's about to do some work. And in this case, Jesus evidently took that apron and he tied it around his waist. And he literally took upon him the form of a servant, as Philippians 2.7 says, as he knelt down to do what a servant's job was. We said it was an act of humility. We said it was an act of consistency because verse 5 tells us that he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. There's no indication here that there was anybody left out. He washed all the disciples' feet. And we said, you know what, it might not have been difficult to wash John's feet because John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. But what about Peter? Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him just moments, hours later. What about Thomas? Jesus knew that he would doubt him. What about Judas, the one who would betray him so that he would be led away to his death? What about them? Knowing all of that, Jesus still washed all of their feet. We see a humble servant washing all of their feet. Not one is left out. And what it does is it reveals the character of the Lord Jesus Christ in the heart of God. None of us are deserving. And yet the Lord has time for everyone. What a great Savior. Amen. He was consistent. And today what we're going to talk about from verses 6 down through the end is the witness of Jesus. So we saw the wisdom of Jesus, the work of Jesus, and thirdly, the, wis- or the, the witness of Jesus. The Bible says in verse 6, Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. 
Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. Why not talk about the witness of Jesus here? And I want you to note verse 7, first of all. Jesus says, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. The word know in verse 7, it has the sense of first-hand knowledge or knowledge that is based on experience. And in fact, what Jesus is telling Peter, he says, you don't understand what I'm doing to you right now, but later on you're going to know, and you're going to know by experience. You're going to have first-hand knowledge of the very thing that I'm trying to teach you here. And then in verse 12, we find that after all this was done, Jesus had washed their feet and he'd taken his garments back. The Bible says he sat, sat down again and he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you. And what I'm trying to get at here is that Jesus is trying to teach something to the disciples that they didn't know. And something that Peter was going to know firsthand later on in life. But, but there was far more than just this physical thing that was going on here. The disciples were only thinking in physical terms about Jesus washing their feet. But there was a spiritual lesson here. There was a whole lot more to this than just the physical act of washing their feet. And Jesus was touching on a, a, a cultural custom here in washing their feet, but he was using this cultural custom in order to teach an eternal truth. When the Jews would prepare for the, the feast of the Passover... A Jew would have to wash for ceremonial purposes. They would go to the place of cleansing. Maybe it was a bathhouse of some sort. And they would wash and bathe for ceremonial cleansing. But after he was done with that, afterwards he would depart from that place of washing and he would travel. But as he would travel, his feet that were usually clad with sandals, would again become dirty or dusty. He was ceremonial, ceremonially clean uh, from head to toe, with the exception of those feet. And so when he would arrive at the, at the, as a guest to the house, the host of, of that house would have a servant then come and wash the guest's feet. And Jesus says, you're clean every whit. And Jesus had to explain to his disciples what he was doing by washing their feet. In fact, it really wasn't about clean feet at all. He was revealing some eternal truth by this simple act of humility. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. What was the lesson? What was Jesus revealing by this act of humility of washing the disciples' feet? Well, the first thing that we note here is that Jesus reveals that there is submission that is needed for salvation. When verse 6 tells us that Jesus came to Simon Peter, and Peter said, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said, you don't, you don't know what I'm doing now, but you're going to know later on. So then in verse 8, Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, 
If I washed thee not, thou hast no part with me. And so what we find here is that Jesus reveals that there is submission that is needed for salvation. As Jesus comes to Peter, Peter, the ever impetuous one, protests. And he says, you're never going to wash my feet, Lord. And at that, Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part with me. Peter needed to submit himself to the will of Jesus. And what Jesus is alluding to here is that if, if, if one is not washed by him and washed by his own blood, they can have no part with him or with his kingdom. That's the spiritual truth here. Revelation 1 and verse 5 says, From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. Revelation 7, 13, one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Let me make this application here. There's a lot of people even today, that say, you know, I, would, I want to go to heaven. They believe there's a heaven, they believe there's a hell. I want to go to heaven. They have this heart attitude that they want to, but they seem to want to do it their own way or do it in their own time. They don't want to yield full control of their life to God. There may be some in this room this morning you know you need to be saved, but you're not. And the reason you're not is because you don't want to yield control of your life to God. I heard the testimony of a man just recently who said this very same thing. Sitting under conviction, under preaching, and the, and the Word of God and the Spirit of God bringing conviction to his, his heart and his life, but he wouldn't move. And I, I asked him, I said, why? what kept you? Why didn't you respond? He said, because, because I didn't want to give up control of my life. And the point that Jesus is making here is it's impossible, listen, it's impossible for you to receive salvation apart from me. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me or my kingdom. You know, people don't have the right to just want to clean up parts of their lives only. What we need is to be washed completely in the blood of the Lamb. And let me say this to you, friend, as well. May, there's there's, there's, a, there's a, a thinking in some people that I want to go to heaven and I don't want to go to hell. And salvation is my escape from the hell fire. Listen, salvation's not just a fire escape, friend. It's not a fire escape. Salvation comes through yielding our total will to Jesus Christ as Lord and Master. When a person comes to be saved, it's not just so that I can escape the, the flames of hell. No, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that I, I want to be done with me. I want you to control my life. I want you to tell me what to do. I yield to you. This is what salvation really is. This is what a repentant heart is. Romans 10.9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, 
and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. What is the implication? I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. He is master. It's the same heart as Saul had on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 when Jesus appeared to him and he said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. You can't, you can't resist this conviction anymore. And, and, and Saul said, this is what he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's what he said. What will you have me to do? That is the heart of surrender and yieldedness. To the Lord Jesus Christ. The point I'm making here is that Jesus reveals that there is submission that is needed in order to have a part with me. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. There's no other way. There's no other way for us to be saved than to yield our will to the Lord Jesus Christ. Clean feet are no good if the heart is still dirty. Jesus washed their feet. But it really wasn't about that. It was about teaching them an eternal truth. And Peter needed to submit himself to the Lord. And salvation, salvation comes from complete surrender of my will to God. Look at verse 10. Secondly, he reveals that not only is there submission needed for salvation, but he reveals that there is security in salvation. Verse 10, Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. In verse 10 here, notice the wording. The word washed and the word wash. Now, they're translated as the same thing in English, but there's two different words that are being used here. The word washed, when Jesus says, he that is washed, that is the Greek word luo. It simply means to bathe. It means the whole person from head to toe. And it was something that was referring to the ceremonial cleansing. And so again, when they're preparing for the feast of the Passover, a Jew would have to bathe, would have to wash a, a full ceremonial cleansing, okay? So the word means to be completely bathed from head to toe. It's the whole person. It's a ceremonial cleansing. So Jesus says, he that is washed or ceremonially clean or completely bathed needeth not save to wash his feet. That second word, wash, is the Greek word nipto. It simply means to cleanse, like the hands or the feet. It means just wash your hands or wash your feet. All right? So Jesus says, he that is bathed or he that is washed, he that is from head to toe completely clean, doesn't need to take another bath for cleaning. All he needs to do is just wash his feet. Okay? And as I stated before, the feet would easily get dirty. They would go to the bathhouse, they would do the full cleansing, but as they're traveling from the bathhouse back to the, wherever they're a guest at, those feet would get dirty again. When they come into the house, they don't need to have a whole bath again. All they need is their feet washed. All right, you following that? 
That's the, that's the picture that's being painted here. So Jesus says, once you've bathed the whole body, you don't need to do that again. You just need to cleanse your feet. And then he says, you're clean every whit. It means pure, completely, all the way through. And so the application is, and the, the spiritual eternal truth that Jesus is teaching here, is listen, there's security in salvation. There's security in salvation. If you're washed, you're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Listen, he says, he that is washed needeth not to save needs not saved to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. He's revealing that once you've been washed in Jesus Christ, we're clean every whit. Amen. We're totally and eternally clean. However, as life goes on, and we walk around in the dust of this world, what happens? Our feet start to get dirty. We pick up the filth of this world as we live in this world. And in order to maintain fellowship with Jesus Christ, there's going to be times when we need to confess our sin. But not for the penalty of our sin. That's taken care of. It was washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'm completely clean. But in order to maintain fellowship with the Lord, I still need to confess my sin. So I can have good fellowship with Him. Amen? That's why 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, friends, that's not written to lost people. That's written to save people. It's written to save people to tell you, listen, uh, uh, positionally, we're secure in Christ. We're washed in the blood of the Lamb. All my sin is paid for. Positionally, I'm secure. But fellowship-wise... I need to make sure that I confess my sins so that I can have sweet fellowship with the Lord. I'm never in danger of being disowned by God. I'm saved, amen? My sin's been paid for. But what's in danger is sweet communion and fellowship with the Lord. I use this illustration when I talk to people about this. A husband and a wife, when they're married, you know, not, there's not always going to be uh, total sweetness and good fellowship in their marriage. There are going to be times when there's arguments or disagreements. There's going to be times when, when you know you say something you shouldn't say, and you're going to hurt some feelings. Now, is your marriage in danger at that point? No, the marriage isn't in danger. What the problem is, is that our fellowship is broken because I said something or I did something and I acted in a way that I shouldn't have and it hurt the feelings. How do we fix that? How do we restore the fellowship again? When I come and I say, you know what, I'm sorry for what I said. I didn't mean that. It's not really what my heart is. I was angry. I was wrong. I'm sorry I said that. And the other party's like, you know what, I forgive you. Of course I forgive you. And now the fellowship is restored again. It's sweet again. Well, that's what it's like in our relationship with Christ. We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. All my sin is gone. But as I walk through life, man, my feet get dirty. And there's, there's things that, because I got this old sin nature still, and I still say things and do things and act in a certain way that is not pleasing to the Lord. And if I don't, have a heart to make that right with God. My fellowship with Him is broken. But positionally, I'm secure. I'm never going to lose my salvation. But my heart is I want to please my Savior. And so I say, Lord, I know I was wrong. I know I messed up there. 
Please forgive me. I confess that. And he is faithful and he is just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Amen? Amen. Jesus says to, to the disciples, he says to Peter, you've been washed. You're clean every whit. But sometimes you need to wash your feet. And it's not so that you can be saved again. That's not the issue at all. We're secure in Christ. The saved don't ever have to stand before God responsible for sin because that was forever washed away at Calvary. I don't need to come for cleansing so that I can be saved again. I stand righteous before the Father, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm secure, but I do need to come in order to maintain sweet fellowship with Him. Praise the Lord for security. Amen. Then look at the last part of verse 10 and verse 11. Jesus makes the statement. And here he makes the spiritual application because he says, and ye are clean. So, we see the context. Jesus says, he that is washed needs not to save, needs not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. Now, using the physical example of foot washing, he makes the spiritual application. He says, and ye are clean but not all. And then in verse 11, For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. And what Jesus reveals here is that he reveals that there is separation in salvation. Jesus makes the spiritual application here. He says, You're clean, every whit, but not all of you. Not all of you are clean, because he knew that it was Judas who would betray him. And he speaks of Judas. Understand this, friends. Judas had his feet washed, but his heart was still dirty. You're not all clean. Not all of you. And the application is that there's all kinds of people who have some religion to them. They think that they're right with God. They're trusting in their works. They're trusting in their church membership. They're trusting in all of these religious things, but none of those things provide cleansing for the heart. Listen, Judas was in the presence of Jesus, but Judas's heart was still not clean. He could have been saved. He had the opportunity to, but he didn't believe. And just being in the presence of Jesus did not secure salvation for Judas Listen, the same is true for you and me. Just being in the presence of Christian people, just being in the presence of a church, just hearing the, the gospel or the word of God preached, just being religious doesn't secure anything for us. There's got to be a time when we come to the Lord personally for cleansing of the soul. I need my heart clean. I need to be made right. I need to be made pure, clean, every whit, because I need to be washed. There's got to come a point in time when we see ourselves as dirty and guilty. And the only way for me to be clean is to have Jesus do it. Otherwise, you're never going to be clean. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Don't be a Judas. If you're here today and you're not saved, don't be a Judas. 
Judas never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ with all of his heart. And friend, your eternity depends on whether or not the Lord Jesus washes you. When we get to verses 12 through 17, here's kind of the conclusion of this whole scene and really the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach His disciples. In verse 12, So after He had washed their feet and had taken His garments and was set down again, He said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. The lesson that Jesus was teaching them was that they needed to, number one, be humble, and number two, they needed to serve other people. Those are the two main lessons. And he says, you're not greater than me. I'm your master. But if the master does this, then the disciple definitely should as well. Now, why did Jesus use this physical example to teach a spiritual truth to these disciples? Why this situation and why now? Well, John doesn't record all that is actually happening and what's really going on here. But when you compare it with the other Gospels, you find a little bit more of what's going on. Look over in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Look in, let's read a, a good portion of this here. Let's start in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the goodman of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat any more, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, 
the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors, but ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptation, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me. Now this is the same exact context as what's happening in the Gospel of John, and we'll get to in the Gospel of John some of these other details that are accounted here in Luke. But what I wanted to point out to you is this, that in the middle of all of this, while Jesus is carrying the burden of the lost on his heart, he's about to go to the cross, he's still caring for his own, what is actually happening is that his men were worried about far more trivial matters. They were worried and arguing about who should be the greatest among the disciples. Do you notice that in, in these verses? That there was a strife among them in verse 24. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? This is the heart attitude that's going on. And this is why Jesus uses the washing of the feet to teach this spiritual truth about humility and serving other people. Jesus used this opportunity to teach them what true greatness is all about. It's about serving. But you know what? Most of us are like the disciples, I'm afraid. I think there are very few who truly possess an actual servant's heart. Most are willing to be served, but not too many people are actually willing to truly serve others. Jesus said we should be willing to serve regardless of the cost. That's why he said in our text, disciples, you know, do you know what I've done to you? Through all of the foot washing, do you know what this is really about? And Jesus says, if you go back there in John 13, he says, you call me master, in verse 13, and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. And then he says, listen guys, the servant is not greater than the Lord. Neither is, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. He's like, you guys call me Master, and you say well, because I am your Master. And the servant is not greater than the master. 
And if that's true, and I'm doing this to you, and I'm your master, then you need to understand that you definitely need to be doing this for others. I think there are several facts that present themselves to us in these verses as we close out this section. First of all, washing feet was servants' work. Washing feet was servants' work. And so Jesus took the place of a servant before his disciples. He willingly humbled himself to meet the need of these people in his life. And the application is that we ought to be willing to humble ourselves and do whatever is necessary to serve people. We serve Christ when we serve others. Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Listen, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. Sometimes it's grunt work. But somebody's got to do the grunt work. Listen, I'm not too good or too big to do a menial task when I have a heart that is for serving other people. All of a sudden, I don't look at myself as too important to do that when I want to serve others more than anything else. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, I don't know what that looks like. In some people's minds, maybe it would look like, oh, the pastor? He should, he doesn't, pastor shouldn't, Pastors shouldn't have to clean the church. Pastors are too important for that kind of stuff. You know what? I'm not too big or too important for anything if I have a heart that is to serve people. I don't look at jobs as menial tasks that I'm too good for. Somebody else should do the grunt work. I think it's deplorable, actually, to have that kind of a heart attitude. I don't, I don't do that. This is, this is my area of service. I have this thing that I do. That's a deplorable heart attitude that is about self, not about serving. Jesus did servant's work. Amen? He humbled himself. And we ought to do the same, to do whatever is necessary to serve others. The second fact that is brought to light here is that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples without being asked to do so. In fact, if we look at Peter's response, we might think that the disciples were even somewhat shocked when Jesus began to wash their feet. But here's the thing that really comes to my mind. This, the, the disciples should have been the ones who were falling all over one another to wash his feet. Because he's the Lord. He's the master. It never even entered into their minds to serve him. Apparently, they were waiting for somebody to serve them. They were concerned with who would be the greatest among them. Not the one who would be the servant. And what I'm saying is that we ought to learn to serve without being asked to. If we see a need, and there's something that we can do about it, we should simply to serve. Here's another one. Jesus served with no expectation of reward. 
In fact, not one of these disciples said thank you to the Lord for washing their feet. What he did, he did out of heart of love and concern for them. And we need to be willing and we need to learn to serve others with no thought of recognition or reward. Matthew 6, 1, Jesus said, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, himself shall reward thee openly. Why do we do what we do? Whose praise do we really want? Well, we ought to want to have the praise of the Lord rather than the praise of men. Jesus did what he did without expectation of reward. But here's the most powerful one to me. Jesus served those who did not deserve to be served. This is the heart of real service. He served those who did not deserve to be served. Jesus washed the feet of all of these men. Before the night would end, all of those feet, those very same feet, would all run away. Think about that. Jesus knew all of that. And yet he served them anyway. We need to learn to serve even those who are selfish. We need to learn to serve even those who cannot see. We can develop a, a callousness, I think, as we gauge people and we gauge their responses and we gauge their interactions. Like, well, they don't really deserve this of me because of who they are, what they are, what they say, what they do. Is that the heart of real servanthood? Real humility? Because the truth of the matter is, we don't deserve anything except for judgment from God. Jesus served those men who didn't deserve to be served. And there's a whole lot more that we could learn from the Lord's labor. But he served. And he set a standard, an example, that we should follow his steps. And Jesus said to his disciples, I've given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. And then he said, happy are ye if you do them. Happy are ye if you do them. To summarize that whole section, number one, we serve the Lord, one who is well aware of our lives. He's given us the resources to be victorious in Him. We should not fret and worry and fear. We talked about that last week. Number two, He's given us a great example of humility and service. If we'll only follow Him, He says we'll reap 
reward from God himself. And the greatest truth is revealed concerning the spiritual condition. Jesus used a physical example to teach an eternal truth. And the question that I would ask at the end is, are you washed? Are you washed in the blood? Have you been saved? Because there's no other way for you to be right with God than to be washed by Christ. So there's a lot to take in here and applications to be made for those that are unsaved, for those that are saved. Are you saved, number one? Number two, if you are, are you humble? Are you serving? Are you following the example of Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, use your word to accomplish your will. I pray, Lord, for those that are not saved here today, that they would submit their will to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for the saint of God, the child of God, that we'd examine our own heart, our own life. Is there pride in us? Is there pride that keeps us from serving others? Do we feel like we're better than other people or too good for certain things? Lord, help us to develop a truly humble servant's heart like Jesus Christ. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.